Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. I want to start this morning with a joke. And no, I don't mean me standing up here. Some of you have probably heard it before, but it's just a little Baptist humor for you. A kindergarten teacher gave her class a show-and-tell assignment and bringing something to represent their religion. The first boy got in front of the class and said, My name is Benjamin, and I'm a Jewish uh, boy, and this is the Star of David. The second one was a girl, and she stood in front of the class, and she said, My name is Mary, I'm Catholic, and this is the crucifix. The third boy got in front of the class, and he said, Hi, my name's Tommy, and I'm a Baptist. This is a casserole. Funny how that is, but last week we talked about Paul and how excited he was to be a part of ministry. Even being a part of a ministry he knew would be a failure in his eyes, not in God's eyes, but in his eyes, and the application of what that meant for us. Now this morning, I want to focus the attention back into the same verses, but about Paul himself. I want to dig a little bit deeper into Paul himself. And before we begin, though, I want to share something. But I'm the type of individual that kind of connects things. I see how things work, and I wonder how they got from point A to point B. And going through service already this morning through worship... It still amazes me, even after all this time, how things kind of line up in service. I don't don't know if you planned on it, Dave, but the song selection with everything else that goes along with today's service was absolutely perfect. And I'm just amazed how that kind of just gels together. But I guess that is the power of God, isn't it? He can do anything for anyone at any time. So I'm just thankful for that. Well, like I said, let's go back to Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 8 through 12. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers making request if, by some means, now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, we talked a lot about this last week, how Paul was a faithful servant of God. And how we too need to be faithful servants of God. Not being ashamed of the gospel. And most of us and most of those that were gathered at this Roman church had probably never heard of Paul. So he speaks from his heart. Paul is a wonderful example of how we should be when we approach individuals. We need to be pure of heart. We don't always have to have the right words. We don't always have to know what to say, but we need to avail ourselves to God so that he can speak through us to them. Now, in the last chapter of this book, Paul signs off by mentioning 29 people he had known from previous places he preached. And these people had 
become a part of his church. And many think he's not just saying hello, but he's letting the rest of the church know that these people can vouch for him. Paul's overall purpose in his writing is to encourage. He's to encourage the believer. He's also to encourage the non-believer. He tells them he intends to visit and his desire is to preach among them. It is my desire this morning to preach to you, not for my benefit, but for the benefit of which God can use me to speak to you. His overall purpose obviously was to encourage, but he begins in verse 8 by telling them he's grateful for two reasons. He thanks God through Jesus Christ for all of you and that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Paul had one purpose in life. That was to serve God. But through God, he accomplished many, many things. When Paul uses the word first, now for me, when I see the word first, I tend to scroll down to see and find the word second. But when he says first, he's emphasizing his first priority is to express his gratitude. Before he begins anything, before he begins his ministry, he knows to stop for a moment, back out of his shoes, which I will tell you most of us would not want to be in. But he steps away and he thanks God for the opportunity he has to be there, to be with individuals who he knows are going to mock him. He is grateful to be doing God's will. Now, can you imagine being from any large city in North America? You can think of one, okay? And someone saying, everybody in this city has heard about your faith. But that's what Paul was doing. When he was out there witnessing to those and preaching the gospel and doing what God had called him to do, this is what they were saying about Paul. Oh yeah, we know Paul. This is the guy that talks about God. This is the guy that will do anything for the gospel. And that was encouraging for others. But for some others, maybe not so encouraging. But it goes on to say that he continued to do the will of God, not for his benefit. Because quite honestly, Paul very easily could have stayed where he was. And he still probably would have had a very successful ministry. But God had something greater for him that he needed to take place. So Paul, we know, is grateful. And people who are truly spiritual and those who live lives are marked by an attitude of gratitude. Have you met an ungrateful Christian in your life? What's the prevailing thought you have? Do you want to be around this person? Maybe the word hypocrite comes into mind. After all, if we're not thankful, it's because we don't feel like we've been treated right or somehow we didn't get what we deserve. Maybe we just lost touch with what truly is important. And after all, it goes without saying that if any of us got what we deserved we know we'd spend an eternity in hell. If we got what we deserved, we wouldn't be sitting here right now. There was a lady who wrote to Ann Landers, and I saw, I'm sorry to the younger people who don't understand who Ann Landers is, but most of you know. She wrote in and she said, I'm looking forward to getting to heaven when I die, but 
if my parents are there, I'd rather go to hell. <laughs> After reading that, I got the impression that she probably isn't going to have to worry about that choice. Huh. One Saturday morning, a four-year-old boy and his grandfather went out for a treat at the donut shop. And as they were driving along, the grandfather asked the little boy, which way is heaven? And instinctively, the boy pointed where? He pointed up, right? And then the grandfather asked, where's hell? And of course, he pointed down. And then the grandfather asked, and where are you going? And the little boy said, to the donut shop. It's a funny illustration, but that is how a lot of people are focused today. They know where things are, but they don't know where they're going. They're focused on the right now. And we're going to encounter a lot of people in life just like that. And we have to be like Paul. We have to be excited about what we're doing so that we can excite others to do what God has called them to do. If there's anything we learn about the Apostle Paul, it's that he had a grateful heart. In every epistle he wrote, he always begins by expressing his thanks to those whom he is writing, except for one, and they were the Galatians, who he couldn't possibly be grateful for because they had departed from the faith and were living totally in the flesh. But notice that it was the faith of the Roman Christians he was grateful for, not the size of their building, their number of employees, or even what they gave to missions. It was their faith, because their faith had astonished the entire Roman world. So Paul says, I'm thankful that your faith is spoken of throughout the world, and their faith included not only that they were saved, but that these, these people had a life-changing relationship through Jesus Christ. And his power was evident in how they lived. And listen, there were people who were living in the heart of darkness of Rome as well. Paul was thankful for their credibility and integrity because they were living out of their faith in the face of continual political hostility. Does that not describe our current situation? Are we facing these things today? Do we not face hostility where we go? Not just because of our political affiliation, but because of our religious affiliation? Maybe our workplace, who we're related to. These are things we all face. These, aren't, these, these things aren't new. These are things that have been happening since day one. So no wonder Paul wanted to spend time with these believers. They were shaking the foundation of what the world was ready to listen to. They weren't doing it by holding protests or citywide campaigns, but they were simply just witnessing to one person at a time. I talked about last week, who's your one? Who's your one? Someone wrote, Lord, help me live from day to day in such a self-forgetful way that even when I kneel to pray, my prayer shall be for others. The heroes of the Christian faith are not always those who pastor the biggest churches, write the most books, or travel the most places in the world. Often the true heroes of the faith are often unknown and will never be known until the day 
of reward. There was a man who went home to be with the Lord a few years back and he dropped in to see his pastor. He had spent the first portion of his life as a missionary in Guyana and when he came back to his hometown in Canada, he had a ministry among the native people in Toronto. He had come from a very small church in Toronto and this church had never grown to more than 35 members. It was in a very rural country, uh, country area. But from that church came 12 full-time missionaries. And those who remained supported the 12 missionaries until the last person had retired from the field. And then the church folded. Now, when we hear that, we might wonder, well, what happened? What went wrong there? Did they abandon the faith or somehow lose their vision? No. They were called for a specific job and they accomplished it. And it all began because they loved the Lord and treasured his word. These are the people are heroes. I mean, imagine how many had been saved because these people stayed behind and prayed and supported those who went. It makes you wonder how many unknowns are around us. There was a man in Kansas City recently who had been severely injured in an explosion. His face was badly disfigured and he lost his eyesight and the use of both of his hands. He was a new Christian and he said that one of his greatest disappointments was that he could no longer read the Bible. So one day as he brought braille pages to his lips because he had purchased a Bible which was Braille, and he could touch it to his lips, and he could read. So how he was doing that, he was feeling the characters, and he was feeling them, and like a flash, he thought, I can read the Bible with my tongue. And so far, he has read the entire Bible, cover to cover, four times. That man is a hero. Now, unlike him, many have excuses why they don't read the Bible. Maybe they don't understand it. They don't have the time. They don't know where to start. Maybe there's just too many translations and they don't know which one is the best one to read. But more, I think, it's more they're not motivated. They're not motivated to do it. The Bible's too boring or, you know, it's just not practical. It's full of errors. It's, um, it's outdated. We've heard all these things. I prefer to read something lighter, you know. And the best excuse, of course, is I, I just can't be bothered. I, I just don't want to do it. The fact is, is we're attracted to the things that grab our attention. There was an elevator operator at a hospital in Nashville who said, I'm just a nobody telling everybody about somebody who can save anybody. And listen, it doesn't matter how small our church is or how big it gets. Our disability will always be is because all of us need to be ministering to someone. If we're not doing that, we're not growing. We have perfect opportunities in the church where we could be ministering to somebody. 
We've got a lot of young families coming. We need to minister to those individuals. We need to encourage them. And I'm encouraging you to do the same. We have an opportunity, just like Paul, to be encouragers. And in turn, you will be encouraged, I promise. Ask Francis Hoyt. She knows all about it. As Christians, we are in a constant spiritual battle, not only with the devil, but also with ourselves when it comes to praying, because it's easy to see prayer as a waste of time when things happen so slow. But listen, God says it is the only way he's provided that we can accomplish anything in the spiritual world. So we need to pray. And I know this sounds like a Sunday school lesson. Oh, we need to read our Bible. Oh, we need to pray. And yes, those are wonderful things. But I think what Paul's getting at and what Paul is exhibiting here is how we can become encouragers. How do we encourage others? We encourage each other by encouraging ourselves first. And it's all laid out here for us. It says there are two necessities in the Christian life where Satan constantly attacks us. And if he's successful, then we'll be totally ineffective for Jesus Christ. And the first one is the area of personal devotions. This means simply reading your Bible and praying. And if you don't read your Bible and you don't pray every day, then Satan has you exactly where he wants you. Would you agree with me? If you don't read every day, if you don't pray every day, Satan has you exactly where he wants you. Scripture is the nourishment for our souls. And prayer is a weapon for both offense and defense. Now, I've read about John Wesley and I mentioned him last week as well. He's traveled 250,000 miles on horseback, averaging 20 miles a day for 40 years. He preached 4,000 sermons, produced 400 books, and he learned 10 languages. At age 83, he was annoyed because he couldn't write more than 15 hours a day without hurting his eyes. What's your excuse? At age 86, he felt ashamed because he could no longer preach more than twice a day. He complained in his diary that he had an increasing tendency to lie in bed until 5.30 in the morning. I tried that once. I was going to follow his example and I did get up at 5 one time and in the morning and got on my knees to pray. But to be honest, it was the worst position I've ever slept in. I am not John Wesley. The big question for many of us have is this, is where do I start? And we need to tell people to start simple. We need to start simple. Start by reading your Bible for five minutes and then pray for three people. Simple. I always tell those that who ask about devotions to start with the book of John and then when you read it, underline every word that Jesus says. And when you're finished, go back 
and read just the words that you underlined. This will get you familiar with Jesus and what he had to say. There's a quote and it says, the, the problem with the world is that the intelligent people are full of doubts, while the not-so-smart ones are full of confidence. And the not-so-smart never listen to anybody. And if you're like the rest of us, you'll find reading the Bible will eventually grow on you. In the beginning, it's the medicine stage where you do it because you know it's good for you. And then it's like bran flakes. It's dry, but nourishing. And then it becomes like dessert, and you can't wait to have a little more. Now, I've had bran flakes before. I've never considered it a dessert. But for some people, it is. But the point it's getting to is you start simple. You start small. And as you gradually get into it, it becomes more appealing. You become more encouraged by it. And in turn, you're wanting to share that with everyone else. Paul's ministry was not characterized as simple. He had a large task at hand. And so do we. But Paul did it by taking the first step. He took one step. And the kids will tell you that we're in the play last year, the song, there's a song called One Step at a Time. And that's what we need to do. We need to take one step at a time. Let God, let God do what he does. We just need to avail ourselves to God, allow him to do what he needs to do. It's not us that does these things. We like to think we do these things. I'd like to think that this is all me speaking. It's not. This is God's opportunity to use us. This is God's opportunity to use me this morning. Believe me, if it was left to my own devices, I'd sit here and tell you jokes all day long. I, I have pretty much. But, you know. But Paul says, keep it simple. Keep it simple. So after you've done that, you've read your Bible for the five minutes, you've prayed for those three people, pray for three more, any three. They can be family members, friends, co-workers, whoever. Pray for their spiritual needs. Pray for their health and then pray that they'll be productive at work, at school, whatever it is they do. And listen, if you don't make a list of those you'll pray for, I guarantee you, you're like me. If you don't write it down, you're going to forget it. Write this stuff down. Prayer is a discipline and keeping a list of people and their needs will keep your mind from wandering. I find this especially true. Keep track of these things. And as you grow in the faith, you'll find yourself praying for your family, your friends, your pastors, and hopefully, hopefully, a few non-Christians as well. And then don't forget to pray for your own needs as well. But you need to find a right time for you, which is not to say that you can't pray any time, but if you don't pick a specific time, you'll end up with no time at all. Amen? For some people, it's in the morning, and others, it's just before they go to bed. But no matter when you do it, do it as the Nike commercial says. Just do it. Just do it. 
Do it when you don't feel like it. Do it when you're sad. Do it when you're busy. Do it when you're tired. Do it when you're feeling good. Do it when you're stressed. When you're not motivated. When you're on vacation. Do it. When you're not sure of something, and especially when you find yourself making excuses to avoid praying, just do it. And listen, the Bible says people prayed kneeling, standing, sitting, lying on a bed, or face down on the floor. So whatever helps you express a sense of humility before God, just do it. I like how someone put it. We are to pray like everything depends on God. And then we work like everything depends on us. Our prayers, we shouldn't be hazy, crazy, or lazy. Have you heard this before? Our prayers shouldn't be hazy, crazy, or lazy. Listen, our churches need to be houses of prayer, not houses of programs. We need to be in prayer. I remember reading about a pastor... And several years ago, a woman ordered uh, this pastor to come to her house where she said, I have called you here because the most wonderful thing has happened. I have personally righted myself before God and I need to share this with you. So the pastor naturally went over and they were talking. And so she goes on with her story, and she says, It was about two or three in the morning. I sat straight up in bed, and I thought I heard someone call my name. At first, I thought it might be indigestion. But there, right at the foot of my bed, was Jesus, as big as life. Actually, he was a little bigger than life. My Lord, and he was dressed in shining white, just as he is in the third window from the left on the right side of our church. And he called me by name. I said, Here I am, Lord. Or words to that effect. And he said, I want you to give your life to my work. I have work for you to do. And then she said he was gone. She said, so that's why I've called you here, Pastor. I want to give my life totally and completely to the Lord and to his work because he said that I have work for you to do. So, Pastor, I need to be used where I need to be used. So the pastor goes on, he goes, well, this is wonderful. He goes, few of us receive such visions, and I am only too happy to think about what you can do to serve the Lord. So let's see. Have you thought about teaching? The fellowship class lost a teacher last month. You might be just the one to, what, what, pastor? Fellowship class? She shouted. You expect me to teach the very people who were so haughty to me, especially when we first moved here? I would like to tell them a thing or two. Oh, no, you don't want me teaching that crowd. Pastor says, okay, I see. Well, what about the nursery? You know, we have a real problem getting folks who can keep that. Preacher, preacher, have you lost your mind? Do you, don't you remember me visiting in the hospital last year when my back went out? That would be suicide for me. Since when have you seen somebody able to look after little kids without being able to lift them up? Pastor looks at her and he says, well, that's true. He goes, you know, before you retired, you worked as a secretary. And we have work to do at the church a couple mornings a week. We could, oh, no, 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 no. 
I can't do that, Pastor. I'd made myself quite clear when you bought that expensive computer and I was opposed to it. We had nothing but trouble with those things and now you're stuck with it. So you're going to have to learn that on your own. The pastor made a couple more attempts to figure out what Jesus might have had in mind, but it was useless, so he tells her, why don't you just think about it? And if you have another vision... Whatever you do, don't let Jesus leave the room until he tells you exactly what he wants you to do. And she kind of looked at him, puzzled. Listen, she had a great experience, but she had very little in terms of a relationship to God. And I think that's how a lot of people approach Christianity. We talk a big talk. We never walk the walk. In verses 10 and 12, Paul tells them he's praying for them, and then he says he's making requests, if by some means, now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith of both you and me. He's praying so that first, he can visit them, and second, so he can share with them a spiritual gift which will enable them to be established or built up in the faith, and their fellowship will result in that mutual encouragement, along with reading, along with praying. I encourage you to drag somebody with you. Sometimes you've got to drag them. To go do that work. Let them be an encouragement to you. Find someone who encourages you. Now Paul didn't necessarily have that encouragement partner all the time. So this was something that God kind of instilled in him. And maybe he's instilled that with you. But I encourage you. Find others that will go with you. Find that individual that encourages you. To continue the work of God. When Paul says, I want to impart to you some spiritual gift, he doesn't mean that he has control of the gifts of the Spirit. When he says he wants to impart it, he means, I want to share with you the gifts of the Holy Spirit that were shared with me. When I spoke about that last week, we have an obligation. When the gospel came to me, I had an obligation to share it with others. And in addition to that, I am not ashamed of it. I cannot be ashamed of the gospel. So Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 14 verses 3 and 4 that spiritual gifts produce edification and exhortation and comfort to each other. So, the function of spiritual gifts is to minister to one another and no one walking in the spirit would ask or think, What are you going to do for me? This is a selfless act. People ask all the time, why does God place me here on earth? What is my purpose? Why doesn't God use me in a different arena? God has something planned for you. To what end is between you and your relationship to him. You can, it's like the Mission Impossible series. You can choose to accept it 
or not. But I will tell you, the message is not going to blow up at the end. But your relationship to him would be severely damaged if you do not take on the mission which God has called you to do, which he called Paul to do, which calls every single one in this building right now to do. Take on that Nike slogan. Just do it. Let's get out there. Let's get after it. Some churches are famous for their pastor. Some are famous for their architecture. Some are even famous for their cemetery and for some of their organ, their choir, celebrities that go there. Some for their theology, but we need to be famous for one thing and one thing only. Is that we are a church that spreads the gospel throughout the whole world. That is our goal. Excuse me. Near the Tower of London, there's an ancient church called All Hollows. Some of you might be familiar. And just inside the wall, there's a large sign which there is, so tourists leaving the tower can read it. It gives a bit of history, and then it raises this question. It says, Jesus Christ has been worshipped in this building for 600 years, on this site for 1,100 years, and in Britain for 1,300 years. Don't you think it's time you got started? Listen, in the end, we're all going to die. And our time on this planet is shorter than we think. The average person has a thousand weeks of childhood, two thousand weeks of adulthood, and then a thousand weeks of being old. That's it. There are no do overs, there are no second chances. We all get one shot at life, and when it's over, it's over. So if we're going to do anything, we've got to do it now. We've got to do it now. Someone said there are two kinds of people in the world. Those who group all people into two categories and those that don't. But listen, Jesus said that all of mankind is divided between those who are followers of Jesus and those who aren't. In the New Testament, he said, he who is not with me is against me. And he speaks in terms of two categories for all mankind. There are the believers and the unbelievers, the sheep and the goats, the wheat and the tares. And we are either in Christ or in Adam, in the spirit or the flesh, we're either a good tree or a bad tree. We are either on that narrow road or the broad road, or we're going to heaven we're going to hell. And he never mentions any second chances of any kind in the Bible. There's no second chances. So we all have one of those two choices. They are. The first, we need to start where we are. We need to start where we are. We don't have to go somewhere else to become someone else. But God created each of us to do his will right there where you're seated. Start where you're at. Second, we need to use what we have. Like the little boy who had a few fish and some bread. Or like David with his slingshot. 
or the widow who only had a little bit of oil. God blessed and used what little they had. And when it was time, they used it. They did it. They had that mentality, just do it. Just do it. We need to do with what we can. We don't need more talent. We don't need more gifts. We don't need better abilities or even some position of place of recognition. But each of us needs to be willing to do whatever God wants us to do with what he has given us. So in conclusion this morning, we know that Paul began by saying how grateful he was and that they were not only saved but excited about sharing their faith with others. There's an example for us. We need to be excited about our faith. We need to be excited about going out and spreading that gospel. Second, he said both in prayer to God and the desire of his heart was to visit these believers. Now, I think it went beyond that because Paul knew that he was going to be preaching to unbelievers. A lot of times we get focused on sharing the gospel with believers, but folks, we need to be praying for the lost. We need to be praying for those unbelievers. And if we're approaching it when we're not very encouraging or we're not very excited about the faith that we have within us, it's not going to work. We need to be encouraging to one another. Paul's goal was going in there to be an encouragement as well as be encouraged by them. Paul was human. Just like you and I, we like to be validated. We like to know that what we're doing has some purpose, has some meaning. Paul knew full well going into this ministry that it was going to be looked at as unsuccessful to most. But he had a fire and he had a zeal like no one else. And that's what Paul is telling us, even us today. Find that zeal. Find that inner desire to be more than what you are. To be God's shepherd, to do what he's called you to do. Not because you have to. Now, it may start off that way. Like Paul said, start simple. You may just do it because, okay, it's good for me. I'm just going to do it. But then that desire grows within you to be better, to get better. And then in turn to share it with others. And watch that catch fire. That's the exciting part of ministry. It's not having a title. It's not being recognized by individuals because you do what you do. It's seeing those who did not know God come to know him. To love him. And to share that desire that you have within your heart. To reach others. And that's what Paul was saying. That was his goal. He had a simple goal. Now, did he accomplish uncommon things? You bet you he did. But it wasn't by his own will and his own power. He relied upon God. He understood what God wanted because he was reading. He was praying. He was doing the simple things 
that God has called us to do so that he can use us in those uncommon situations. And in all three areas, he wanted to be an encouragement to those believers. There's another story I'm going to leave you with this morning. It's about a day when the devil had a yard sale. All his demons showed up to see what they might use. All of his tools were on display for sale. They were labeled with price tags. There was anger, hatred, lust, murder, and all the rest. But at the end of the table was a tool without a label. And it had the highest price of all. One demon asked, what is that? The devil said, that's my main tool. It's discouragement. The demon said, well, why is it priced so high? Satan answered, because most people don't know that it's mine. We need to be an encouragement to each other. And then we'll learn to encourage ourselves in the work of the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. And Lord, I pray as you speak to each one of us and you send those encouragements our way that we will continue to do the work that you've called us to do because we want to do it. Lord, I know that there's so many distractions in the world and things that will distract us from the things you've called us to do, the things we know we ought to do. But Lord, I know that you are with us and that you do encourage us and you invite us to continue the work of such people such as Paul, Lord. What an encourager he was. What a man of faith. And what an example he is and was to all of us. Lord, there are people here that just, they don't know where to start. Lord, I pray that by, by your power and your Holy Spirit that you will guide them. You will place the people in their lives that will help set them apart for ministry, that will allow them to be used by you, Lord. I know there's individuals here today that may not know you, but I pray that this morning that you will reveal themselves or they will, you will reveal yourself to them. Lord, we thank you for this day. And David comes to sing a song. I pray that throughout this day we open our eyes to those opportunities where we could be like Paul and we could just do it. We may not have much, but what we have is yours. Let us use it to the best of our ability. And Lord, I pray that we get out of our own way and we allow you to do the things that you do, Lord. We thank you for this time. In the Lord's name we pray. Amen. David's going to come and lead us. Sing family of God. I'm so
Jesus as we travel this soul. Oh, I'm part of the family, the family of God. Lord, as we leave here today, I pray that it is our mission to do the simple things that allow us to be the bright shining lights for you. Thank you for our time together. Give us traveling mercies to where we may go. And let all the things that we say and do be an honor to you. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a great day in the Lord. The Bible says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.